This time it's feeling. Thank you.
Please stand for the call to worship. Christ is risen. Christ is risen this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day when God wipes away our tears so we can see new life. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. with one voice now saying, God of glory, fill us with the power that flows from Christ's resurrection, that in the midst of a wounded world, we might be witnesses to a new humanity. May we preach good news to the poor, show hospitality to the stranger, comfort the afflicted, pursue peace, share our wealth, and live in joy through the liberating name of Jesus Christ. Amen. welcome each of you this morning. If you are a first-time visitor, if you are here often, if you've been away for a while and you are back, we're glad that you're here for Easter worship. We hope you'll read through the insert you'll find in your bulletin. The events and activities listed there represent the life and the work of this faith community. We worship every Sunday at 8.30 and at 11. And between the services, we have educational programming for all ages. Childcare is in place all morning. In the summer, we worship at 10, again with childcare. We hope you'll come and see. Each week, we dedicate a few moments to the peace of God. This time is our hope, our promise and our prayer for peace in this world. Please turn to those near you now and share the peace of God.
Good morning, everyone. Pastor Clover and Pastor Ian and I want to wish you all a happy Easter. Happy Easter. Have you had a good day so far? Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. We're going to talk about the flowers that are surrounding us today. Have you noticed those flowers? Raise your hand if you notice them. Good, good. Does anybody know what we call those beautiful white flowers? Lilies. They're lilies, you're right. On Easter Sunday, we often have lilies to help us think about two things. They help us think of new life, the spring new life out in the world and the new life that we know in the story of Jesus. On Easter morning, the tomb was empty and he had risen. So Easter lilies help us think about new life. Also, they're so beautiful, aren't they? Once when Jesus was here on earth, he said that the lilies of the field are more beautiful than even King Solomon and all the kings and queens of that day long ago who could dress in really rich, expensive clothing. Jesus said the lilies are more beautiful. Will you pray with me, please? Dearest God, we thank you for these beautiful children. Please help us, God, to follow them in their joy and their enthusiasm and in their innocent faith. God, we ask to be worthy of them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Happy Easter, everyone. See you soon. Happy Easter. Let us pray together the prayer for illumination found in your bulletin. May we roll away the stone away from the hidden places in our lives, revealing the light, life, and love you have for us. Amen. Our first scripture lesson today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, and chapter, ver uh, chapter 4, verse 10. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are fools for the sake of Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning. I'm going to start by waving to um, the Miller Center crowd because we have a full 
a full house being streamed into the Miller Center. Why don't everyone turn around and wave at that camera there? Hi. We just want them to feel like they're part of, part of this, so there you go. Oh, my Bible, sorry. There's the Bible, okay. The Gospel reading from Mark, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the gospel of the Lord. Mark's words about the women at the tomb aptly describe, I think, how most ministers this morning are feeling about preaching on Easter Sunday. Terror and amazement seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. <laughs> preaching about the resurrection of Jesus can be terrifying, because what more, after all, can be said about the resurrection? I was asked a while back if I realized that Easter was on April Fool's Day, and how did I feel about that? The last time Easter fell on April 1st, it was 1956. So I think it's perfect, actually, for the cross and the resurrection are foolishness in the world's eyes, said the apostle. And Paul imagined, I imagine, would have relished preaching on April Fool's Day. For Paul, every Easter would have been April Fool's Day of sorts. I grew up in a family that was not big on pranks, not on April, April Fool's Day or any day. But I uh, know that other families love them. Some people really like pranks. I only tried to prank my family once, as, as I recall, and I was about five years old. And my parents were outside doing yard work, and I was the only one inside by myself. And for some reason, my five-year-old brain thought it would be super funny to lock out my family. <laughs> so I went around and I locked all the doors in the house, and as I locked the last one and I stepped outside, and pulled the door shut and heard the click of the latch, I realized in that instant there was no one on the inside to unlock my prank. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw my dad, who he just had that look like something's not right. And uh, he was walking toward me, and I realized this is not going to be good. And so I took off running as fast as my little kindergarten legs could carry me. And I ran and I ran, and I do not recall when I went back, and I have no idea how they got in. But that was, that was my last April Fool's prank. So when our children were young, we lived in St. Petersburg, Florida. And if you know um, St. Pete and, and Florida, you can go to the playground um, any time in the winter. It's always warm. And so my children, when they were young, I took them to the playground, and, and it's when they still loved it. And we had the, uh, the, uh, that experience that many of you know of, Mom, watch me, Mom, watch me, Mom, Mom, watch me, watch me. Um, and so I was trying to. I was trying to be a good mom. 
But there was a, a conversation going on on a bench nearby the, between these two um, other young moms. And I try not to listen to other people's conversations. I really do. But my husband, who gets very tired of me, especially in the restaurant, you know, when I'm, he's talking, and not that it's not riveting, um, <laughs> I'm listening to someone else's conversation over here going, you have no idea what's going on over here. <laughs> so, but at that time at the park, it really wasn't my fault because um, the one young woman was speaking really animatedly um, and loudly um, about Jesus. And so being a pastor, when you hear the name Jesus, you kind of lean in. And uh, the one mom was telling the other mom about God's love. And she explained in great detail how God had come as a human being and how God had died on a criminal's cross and how he was dead for three days. And then she became really animated and wholehearted when she reached the part of the story about Jesus being raised from the dead and how he was still alive. And she knew it because her life had been changed because of him, she said. And I didn't get the sense that she was asking for the other woman to drop to one knee and accept Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. I think she was authentically sharing her story of encountering him. She didn't hold back. She didn't keep quiet, and she didn't run away. Now, I, too, have shared that great story of God's love many, many times to small groups and to really large groups. And I, too, have been transformed by that story of God's love. But at that moment in the park, as I overheard the stranger tell the story, I felt not only uncomfortable, I felt embarrassed. And it wasn't the same kind of embarrassment that I feel or you might feel as you're flipping the channels and come across a TV preacher right, who is shouting about the good news of God's uh, judgment upon humanity. And you think, why are they so angry about the good news, right? But I felt embarrassed hearing the young mom tell that story because it struck me, like the click of that door, just how foolish sounding the gospel story really is. And in the strangeness of the story of God's love, I found myself, one at the same time, leaning in and being distanced from its amazing proclamation. It was as if it was the first time I had ever heard it. There's a certain amount of danger in overhearing the gospel, hearing it too many times. We lose our sensitivity to how foolish it is, but also to how powerful this story is. And I'm so often the one telling the story. We're so often the ones interpreting this story to others, trying to make sense of it, that I forget to listen to it. I mean, to really listen, to take in its strangeness, its oddity, its foolishness, as Paul said. For we proclaim a God who suffered. Jesus went to the depths of human suffering so that there is no suffering we will ever experience that God cannot enter into with us. The word compassion means to suffer with. And so the power of the cross is that a compassionate God, a God who suffered, suffers with us, that God does not abandon us. And so we are promised, we are promised God's presence. We are not promised that we will not have heartache or grief or doubts or fears, but we will not be forsaken. And so the resurrection is like a lifeline of hope when we need to be tethered 
to God, when we need to be tethered to trusting in God and trusting that love wins. So this story we have is a paradox, and it's a paradox to hold. It's not a story that makes rational sense, and especially to a church that has question and think in its tagline. The truth of the love God has for each of us and for every creature is a truth felt in our hearts more than understood by our minds. As one songwriter put it, it may be too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true. Now, late night talk show host and comedian Stephen Colbert is open about his faith as a Roman Catholic Christian. And it's refreshing to hear his intelligence and, of course, his humor. He's very candid and positive about Christianity, which I appreciate because that's not very common. And when interviewed about his faith, Colbert was asked how he'd define it, how he would define his faith. And he said, faith is being a fool for Christ. And a fool is one who is willing to be wrong in society or wrong according to our time, but right according to our conscience as guided by the Holy Spirit. And he went on and said, faith is the settled conviction of feeling expressed and experienced rather than explained. And he quoted the 11th century doctor of the church, St. Anselm, who said, faith ultimately can't be argued. Faith has to be felt. So now Colbert is not naive. He knows faith and reason are both essential, but they're not mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be a dichotomy. Faith and reason can be complementary. As Walter Brueggemann said, faith operates beyond rational explanation and without the constraint of linear reasoning. The word for believe in Greek is better translated to trust or to set one's heart, to set one's heart to beloved. It's more about trusting than an intellectual position, not so much believing that and insert whatever theological proposition, but it's believing in, believing in a love, loving God. For so many of us who struggle for a reasonable way to view the Christian story, it might never be entirely rational. And perhaps we have to let go of our need for our beliefs to fit in a, a lock-tight system. Maybe accepting paradox and mystery and being open to foolishness is going to be as good as it gets. Because it is foolish to believe in or to set one's heart on a God who extravagantly wastes love. Like the woman who wasted precious perfume on Jesus' feet. Or the father who welcomed home with extravagant love his wayward son. It is foolish to believe in a God who expects us to love the least among us. Or expects us to forgive our enemies 70 times 7. It is foolish to give our hearts to Jesus, the King of kings, the one who rode to his death on the back of a donkey. It is foolish to believe in a God who was held by a tomb and a cross. And it is foolish to give our hearts to a God who lifts up the weak to lead the strong. Friedrich Nietzsche was right for that reason, Christianity does not make sense. But it is just like that God, this God, to use the vulnerable to speak truth to power. And think about it. Right now, in our nation, it is children who are speaking truth to power. 
calling adults to have greater moral will to end gun violence. It is the children God is using. And some days I know that it might seem foolish to hope at all. Unquestionably, there's too much that can drive us toward hopelessness. But Easter's the day when we say with certainty that the story we have set our hearts on is holy foolishness. The certainty we claim is that God reveals wisdom in folly and power through vulnerability. Suffering and death did not have the final word 2,000 years ago, and it doesn't have the final word for us today. And no matter what form of suffering you are facing in your life today, and we as pastors, we are so privileged to hear the stories of your pain, and we know there's a lot of pain in this room. But today we say again, God's love rises up as Jesus rose, and life goes toe-to-toe with death and declares, where, O death, is your sting? Death will not have the final word. We are an Easter people, and that means we are fools for Christ, sent by love to speak and to keep speaking hope into despair, cast light into darkness, to declare that all beauty in the world is the sign that God has not left us. So the resurrection was not a prank. Holy foolishness always has the last laugh. Alleluia. Amen.
Please be seated. Let us pray. O Holy One, O Hidden One, one with whom we wrestle, one to whom we pray. Quietly it came, like the morning light it slipped into the world undetected. Like so much of what you do, O God, so why not resurrection too? So much of what matters, what really matters, passes by us unnoticed on our way to somewhere important. The tulip in its bulb, the robin in its egg, the child we worried over for so long. When they suddenly find their way in the world, we are brought to our knees by the surprise of it, the grace of it. So much of your grace we never see. We miss the patterns of hidden wholeness and the silent subterranean workings of your love. The news bombards us with its headlines of fear, the television enchants and amuses, distracting us from the real stories of redemption, of forgiveness, of healing. We miss so much of what you do in the world, so why not resurrection too? Maybe we just don't know what to make of such stubborn love. Maybe our cynical hearts are finally too hardened to believe that love could win. We know better, we say. We know how the game is played. We know the last don't really end up first. And the meek might be blessed, but they'll never inherit this earth. We know so much of what we were told as children is foolishness. So why not resurrection too? And yet here we are. Here we are, O oh God, willing to bet our hardened realities for a little holy foolishness. Here we are with an intuition that the cold facts of this world are insufficient for a warm-hearted life. For this world is too majestic, this life too mysterious, and you too persuasive for us to trust only in the way things appear. And if we are going to believe in something, if we are going to put our faith in markets and militaries and social media, then why not? Why not resurrection too? Why not trust this Jesus who said we will find our lives by losing them, who said there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for another? Yes, let us trust this Jesus who refused to return violence with violence and hate for hate. And let us follow this Jesus into the temple to demand justice for the poor, into the synagogue declaring sight to the blind. Let us follow this Jesus into a life that is generous and humble and joyful that stands at the margins with those who are tired and powerless, that declares the new reign of God's upside-down love, let us follow this Jesus into Jerusalem, onto the cross, and into the tomb. Let us follow him all the way to resurrection, his, ours, the world's. May it be so, O God. On this holy day, may resurrection not slip by us unnoticed. May it not be forgotten on the way to brunch. May it take hold, take seed, take over our hearts and not let us go until we know that your foolishness is the only thing that ever was or ever will be worth believing. We pray in the name and in the way of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God and the Prince of Peace, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory forever. You know, given the state of our world, the violence and the fear, it would be a perfectly reasonable reaction to batten down the hatches to protect what's ours and ours alone. But this moment in our worship is for folks who look out at that same world and go the other direction. It is for those who look at the fear and those that are hurting and like fools give to it. Those who want to be a part of making this world a better place. Your generosity helps this church to continue to be a place of sanctuary, a place of hope, and a place of healing. So to the fools here today, this is your moment. Thank you. 
With one voice, let us give thanks for these gifts, saying, God, you have so greatly loved us, long sought us, and mercifully redeemed us. Give us grace that in everything we may yield ourselves, our wills, and our works, a continual thank-offering to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. You know, that is not just a sentimental expression we make on Easter. That is a statement, a declaration of resistance, of revolution, of radicalness. It's a resistance to the world that says death and despair has the final say. But we know through the resurrection of Christ and God's love that love always wins. So unto the God who is able to do exceedingly more than we can think or even imagine, unto the only wise God through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and honor forever. Amen. Amen.